Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Hi, welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. Before we get to this week's show, I'd like to thank all of you who've emailed us with your questions and comments. In the next few weeks, Jay and I plan to roll out a new Politics Guys podcast to be posted every Wednesday called Question of the Week, where we answer questions submitted by listeners. So if there's a question you'd like us to answer, email us at politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. And now, on to the show. Our top story this week is, once again, gun violence. On Wednesday, a heavily armed couple killed 14 people and wounded 17 more in an act of terrorism at a social services center in California. The shooters, who were killed by police, have been linked to ISIS, according to preliminary FBI reports. So, Jay, another another gun gun violence thing. Uh, I don't know. We've talked about this a lot of times before, so what do you have we to do. say? We do. We talk a whole lot about gun violence and gun control. Um, uh, it was interesting, I guess, what, what you just said, that you labeled it an act of terrorism because a lot of folks haven't done that yet, <clears throat> um, uh, particularly I, I, the, the next day the Cleveland Plain Dealer had a big headline indicating uh, there is no link to terrorism. Um, now, at that time, I think is, it was pretty is, unclear. All is well. Yeah, well. Uh, <laughs> but, but at the time, I think even the FBI wasn't really sure. And then later on in the week, more evidence came out and so forth. And now it seems pretty clear that this was, in fact, uh, a, a terrorist attack. And, in fact, the biggest terrorist attack in this country since 9-11. Yeah. So. No, I, I would agree. And, again, you know, none of none of us have access to any information other than what we read in the paper. Um, but uh, – uh, but but I guess I guess what flummoxes me a little bit is the <clears throat> the initial re- response is that um, oh no no this is workplace violence work workplace violence it's a disgruntled employee uh, that that is the the headline uh, at least that ran in, in the paper here mm-hmm. where other papers for example the Wall Street Journal did label it um, uh, a terrorist attack um, you know and I, I think that that just goes to somewhat why the folks on the right have sort of such a distrust of the media, uh, of the Obama administration. Um, uh, the, the idea that, uh, we, we won't, we won't label terrorism, uh, as such when we see it. Well, I, I would disagree with that. I would say that it was just the, the media waiting to actually find out what the facts were, at least the mainstream media. And I think maybe some on the right heard, uh, uh, you know, Muslim-sounding names and just assumed it was terrorism. Now, in this case, they happen to be right, but I, I just think it was a case of not jumping the gun and waiting for the facts to actually report right. the story. All right. Fair, no, fair enough. Because I, 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 I think that as the what we've seen so far, there's whether it's, it's uh, you know, directly uh, controlled, ordered by ISIS, or just sort of uh, generally inspired by it. Uh, I think I think we have to classify that as, as terrorism. Right. And I, I think, uh, you know, the attack, I think, resulted in sort of a predictable response, both from Republicans and from Democrats, right? Because Republicans, of course, as a generally speaking, uh, called for, you know, increased efforts to combat Islamic terrorism. Uh, a number mm-hmm. of presidential candidates said, you know, clearly we are at war with these people. And Democrats focused mostly on uh, tougher gun laws, which is exactly what you would expect uh, to, to happen, right? 
Yeah, no, that is exactly what you'd expect, and and that's I, again from the you know where I'm coming from. Uh, uh, I, I I think that you know approaching this as a gun gun problem is is looking at it through the, the wrong lens. Um, we uh, you know, and this is something that that drives me to distraction, and I'm I'm not I'm not faulting you. Uh, because Thank we you. had this discussion, <laughs> this discussion last week, uh, when you had the Planned Parenthood shooter, uh, there were initially calls from across, you know, across the left saying, "Oh, we need to tone down our rhetoric. Uh, this is all the fault of of people who are uh, getting these these folks riled up, and uh, you know, essentially encouraging Republicans, re- blaming Republicans, telling them they were encouraging this guy uh, to shoot up uh, Planned Parenthood uh, clinics." Um, and you didn't. You don't hear that when this happens. Um, I, I have yet to hear the the call for um, toning down the rhetoric. Um, well, isn't isn't the rhetoric coming from ISIS though? I mean, they were the ones who recently decided to essentially call for for people to act on their own, which mm-hmm. which I think from a terrorism perspective makes a lot of sense. In fact, I'm surprised that we haven't seen more of this sort of thing, and I'm I'm concerned. I think we probably will see. A whole lot more of this this sort of thing in in the future, unfortunately. No, and again, no, I understand that we can't simply say, <clears throat> ISIS, uh, uh, please stop saying nasty things. But but what we saw is is sort of the inverse. It was the stop blaming Muslims again, <clears throat> which again, I'm not saying that uh, we ought to blame uh, all Muslims and uh, uh, for the the uh, you know misdeeds of of, of a, a deranged minority. Uh, but again, it's, it's just the, I'm always, I'm always perplexed when we have one of these, where, where the, um, the not in my name folks from the, the Muslim community are, uh, we've had that a couple times. I think, uh, the Jordanians, uh, spoke out, uh, about some ISIS atrocities earlier in the year. Um, but you don't see the council for American Islamic relations saying, look, these guys don't represent us. Um, Uh, what you see is is very much the the contrary of, hey, stop persecuting Muslims. I think, to me, the thing that I focused on this week is that, well, it's a lot easier to kill a whole bunch of people if you have easy access to weapons. And all these weapons were purchased legally, uh, of course, in a state that has, you know, California, the the toughest gun control legislation in the country. And I've been on the record in the past, and I'll go on the record right now, saying I am absolutely in favor of tougher gun control. But I think that people on the right who've pointed out this week that, uh, that, you know, gun, tougher gun control wouldn't have a lot of things that Democrats have been calling for wouldn't have affected what happened here. And I think that's a fair point to me. I think that this is, this is yet another instance of where we need to look at just the general availability of weapons. And, you know, it's fair to point out, and it should be pointed out that these gun violence, uh, these mass shootings, uh, while they're, they're horrible and they're tragic, they make up only around 1.5% of all gun-related deaths. And right. so, to me, the real tragedy, this is certainly tragic, but what's far more tragic are the over 33,000 gun-related deaths every year that have nothing to do with mass shootings. And that, to me, is the real problem that we should be focused on, but that's not the problem that gets the headlines. And, and so, well, and, you know, I think, there's, I think there's a good reason for that, because a lot of, um, you know, but I think, I think the reason why we focus on mass shootings uh, is because when you look at the, the whole universe of, of uh, gun deaths, uh, there is a significant proportion of them that are suicides. 
there are a significant proportion of them that are gang-related, drug-related, uh, robbery-related, uh, you know, typical crime-type stuff. And for most people, if you're living in a, a fairly safe neighborhood and you go to a fairly safe workplace and you're not uh, uh, involved in the drug trade, um, you you look at you look at uh, these kind of shootings and the randomness is what is what is so frightening. Uh, you can say, "Geez, I, this is you know someone who walked into a perfectly normal county office building. Uh, it's people who go into a, a perfectly average uh, school or, or or whatever." And I think that's that's why there's there's so much attention to this is because there's a sense of, "Geez, this could happen to me." That's a good point. Yeah, <clears throat> or my family. Um, Whereas I think there is a tendency, if, if you look at the, the uh, uh, gun death numbers, and you and I kind of went back and forth on this, and, and you and others on, on the internet last week, uh, you know, the peak was in the early 90s, uh, during the sort of the crack cocaine epidemic, right? and, and we... most of it was drug-related, gang-related. And for a lot of people, um, that's they simply look at that and say, "Hey, that's not uh, that's not my problem. That's not really going to affect me." And now you could you could read into that, uh, you know, sort of a there's an undercurrent of racism or or, or classism in that, uh, and and there may well be. <clears throat> but I think just the the general situation is, uh, look, those kind of things typically aren't going to happen to me. This kind of thing could. Fair point. Yeah, I I think. You know, another point to make, and I've been clearly whenever this happens, gun owners, a lot of gun owners get very upset, very concerned about about uh, things that, you know, legislation being passed that might affect them. And, you know, in a sense, I can understand it because uh, according to some really quick back of the envelope math that I did, around like 99.9 something percent of all gun owners will never be involved in a gun related death. Uh, you know, yeah. and so. I get what they're saying, but I also know that people are absolutely horrible judges of risk. And so people, you know, when, when someone buys a gun, they never think, well, I might, I might kill myself with this gun at some point. Most people aren't going to think that. But yet most gun deaths are, you know, like something like two-thirds are suicides. Right. And so, you know, I, that's why while I think it's an important to point out that we are in a decades-long decrease in gun violence and gun deaths, also, though – Numerous studies have debunked the idea that higher gun ownership rates deter crime. In fact, in areas with higher gun ownership, not only do we not see a significant crime decrease, but we see an overall increase in gun-related deaths. And that largely has to do with a higher rate of successful gun suicides because it's well, that's that's sort of the that's sort of the uh, like the Fox Butterfield line of the uh, despite uh, crime, crime continues to decrease despite uh, record incarceration. Um, well, I mean, but, but we know that, of course, I mean, let's put it this way. Uh, I'm not going to buy a gun where I sit in my, my, uh, the safety of my, my suburban home here. Um, if I lived in something of a sketchy neighborhood, a high crime area, then yes, I might consider buying a gun for for protection. So I, I I think that makes complete sense why, uh, uh, areas with higher gun ownership, whether legal or illegal, uh, would have higher higher gun deaths rates, higher, higher crime rates um, than areas without. Yeah, I, I, I've decided to compromise. I'm getting a crossbow, mm-hmm. I think, at some point in the near future. So uh, suicide by crossbow seems rather unlikely. It would require a level of dexterity that I don't think I, I have, certainly. Yeah. So, but, I, uh, but anyway, um, 
you know, I, I think one another problem is that we don't necessarily have a lot of great data on this. And one of the reasons is that for the past 20 years, Congress has banned the CDC from doing any research on gun violence and how it affects public public health. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because that was something I was going to mention. <clears throat> now, the, the CDC, again, let's remind our listeners, stands, stands for the Centers for Disease Control. Mm-hmm. And and their job is to study infectious communicable diseases, right? And like, but like but that AIDS that is and Ebola that and is such a and, disingenuous argument because they <clears throat> were studying it before that they put out a couple of studies that said, hey, guns <clears throat> kill people. The the right the NRA freaked out and they said you can't spend money on this anymore. So the idea that yeah it is true that that doesn't necessarily directly fit into their prime mission, but the but this is an after the fact rationalization for research that came up with conclusions that Republicans didn't like. Well, I <clears throat> I think it's a, a sound use of congressional oversight when you've got an agency that is is taking politicized steps uh, outside of its its mission. Uh, to to make political points that that really have have absolutely nothing to do with what its core function is. Now, look, if you want to say the FBI ought to study gun deaths, and they do, uh, or that the ATF ought to study gun deaths and have research into that, and they do, I, I think that that makes perfect sense. Uh, but I think this whole CDC thing is sort of a red herring. Uh, created by the by the left to say, oh my gosh, we need to, and, and the, the total amount of, of funding that was cut when back when this happened in the, in the 90s was something on the the uh, order of uh, two million dollars, which is which is sort of you know the CDC spills more money uh, <laughs> than that uh, on on any given day, so uh, that's that's not a, a huge amount. Um, but it's something that, you know, again, I, I, why would the CDC be involved in that? Well, I, said, I, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be involved. In that. I mean, I see that the CDC. Because it's not their job. Well, I think, I think it so can for be the, same the, the CDC. The, the, Coast, the Coast Guard isn't involved in, in uh, uh, you know, coming up with an AIDS vaccine. I, I think the CDC more broadly studies causes of death and, and what, what impacts the public health of people. And certainly having bullets put into you by any means it, it affects public health. And so I think, you know, broadly construed, it certainly fits within their mandate. And and I, I think they should be allowed to study that sort of thing. And and again, I think the idea that, you know, that that they aren't because it's not in their mission, it just happens to be a convenient after the fact sort of thing. I don't see any congressional Republicans saying, well, you know, we should have some money, you know, additional money studying this sort of thing. And they're not doing that because they don't want to they don't want to see the kind of answers because fundamentally guns hurt and kill people. And that's going to have a negative effect on public health. And they don't want to talk about that. Well, and the the other let's let's look at this through the the prism of the CDC and what they're talking about is yes, their conclusion is always going to be uh, guns hurt people, uh, guns kill people. Um, now, there's there's also I think the economic argument to be made of uh, so why are we paying for this? But uh, if that that's going to be their conclusion, they're not going to be looking at uh, justified homicides. They're not going to be looking at. Uh, the instances where guns save lives. Uh, it's it's sort of a foregone conclusion. So I, I completely understand if, if I'm the NRA uh, why I don't want that study coming out. And it's it's not that it's 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 going to be inherently biased and 
uh, well, yeah, I, it, I just isn't it inherently biased because that's inherently what what guns do. I mean, right? <laughs> yes, you know. I mean, no, and that's that's I think, and that's to my point of. And so, what are we going to study, and what well, what it, exactly is the research that they're going to come up like, with? Like, for instance, uh, we have we don't have very the as the right has pointed out. Uh, many times in the last week that the data that's been compiled on mass shootings is questionable at best. And so I right. I agree. You know, we need better data on when this stuff happens, why this stuff happens, all kinds of things like that that we don't have. Um, maybe it's not the CDC that does it. Okay, you know, maybe that's a reasonable The FBI thing. already does that. They they clearly don't do enough because we don't have this data. You know, we don't have we don't have people doing research on this independently. And, and you know, the reason the reason why is the money isn't there. So you're you're telling me that that all of uh, Hollywood com- could not come up with two million dollars to research this stuff. I'm saying that the fact that the government will not support it says a lot about what the government's priorities are, given that gun deaths kill more people than Parkinson's disease every year. Now, can you imagine if someone said, well, we can't have funding for Parkinson's disease? I mean, there would be an outcry. This is a, this is a significant cause of death in this country. And the fact that, and the fact that we're blocking any kind of funding into to looking at why it happens and how to better prevent it, I think is outrageous. Well, I, I would I would refer our listeners go to the FBI uh, FBI's webpage and you can find some of their research uh, papers that they publish uh, on active shooter investigations on mass shootings. Uh, it's all out there, and the reason that it ought to be there and not with the CDC is again this comes back to maybe the fundamental conservative uh, liberal difference is the problem is crime. Uh, or it's it's people but acting it? bad. It's not. Well, I mean, I mean, if, suicides, if, if, if two thirds are suicides, yeah, that's you not. Make it, you can make an argument there. No, that's something different. Uh, that is a mental health issue, and and arguably the CDC could be involved in that. Although, again, their specialty, their focus was supposed to be communicable diseases. Um, but in 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 the situations of of uh, uh, you know terrorism. Uh, this is the, the policy solutions that we're looking for are going to be things that don't come in a vaccine and don't come in a pill. Uh, it's, it's long-term, um, uh, you know, anti-crime legislation, security, uh, beef ups, those sort of things. And, and I think the CDC is not only unqualified to, to do that there, there are other places much more qualified. Okay. Fair so enough. That's, 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 that's that, where I'm coming okay. from is, is, Fair I enough, and I, and I guess I would just respond by saying that since the vast majority of gun deaths have nothing to do with crime, that they have to do with uh, people making individual decisions to end their lives, that that actually is not a law enforcement question, but right. uh, no, and, a public I'm, health I'm CDC I'm question. With, I'm with you there. That's a mental health issue, and that's, um, again, whether it's the CDC, I think there probably could be another government agency that specializes uh, more in in um, in that uh because again, it's not it's not a communicable disease. But but beyond the point, I I think it's disingenuous to say that uh, by not funding two million dollars uh, of CDC funding, that, that that is somehow related to well, that money uh, that amount would have still... gone up over time, certainly, or at least one would have one would have liked to think it would have. Uh, but but in any case, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree on this one. So uh, uh, you are as utterly convinced that I am wrong as I am convinced that you are on this. 
I think. Yeah. So anyway, let's move on. Uh, on Thursday, Secretary of Defense Ashton Carter announced that the Pentagon would open all combat jobs to women. The decision, which Congress has 30 days to review, will allow qualified women to serve in an additional 220,000 positions. Now, all of the services except for my Marine Corps were on board with the decision. Uh, the Marines, they're the most <laughs> male-dominated of the services. They're 93% male. They requested a partial exemption based on a study that they released in September, which found that mixed-gender forces were less effective than all-male forces. Now, Secretary Carter denied the Marines' exemption, saying that the study was not definitive and that the military should operate under one common standard. Now, this announcement was widely expected. Uh, it dates back to three years ago when former Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta lifted the ban on women in combat but gave all branches of the military three years to study the potential effects of the change and to request exemptions. So, Jay, <laughs> what do you think? Are you for this, against this? Uh, how, do you, how do you feel? Well, no, first, first of all, I, I, would, I would just take a step back and say, uh, can you know, this we should we should now view things like like the Panetta you know statement uh, in hindsight, and we should see when people make those kind of statements today, um, sort of the ridiculousness of the the inevitability of something like that. Uh, you know, it's much like Obama saying, uh, "Yeah, I want to take some time to study the uh, uh, the pipeline." Um, you know, they, well, this, this decision was like, we'll give you a couple of years to do some studies to uh, see if you can have some exemptions. And uh, Marines come back and say, okay, we'd like an exemption. Nope. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I disagree. I, I think I think the Marines the Marine study was, uh, in in my view, was less than uh, not definitive, but was actually deeply flawed in, in a lot of ways. I, I took a look at that study, and and I think you know, giving some time to have people come up and do some studies and come up with reasonable objections. No one was able to come up with any really strong, clear objections to this sort of thing, which basically does not say that standards will be lowered to allow women to be in these positions, but says that if women can meet these standards, the same standards that men meet, then they should be allowed to serve. And I absolutely agree with that. Well, good. I, you know, I'm, I'm on the position on these kind of issues. Uh, is that this is something we ought to defer to the military on. Um, and you, you served, and I didn't, and, and you can speak better to this as to how this would affect, um, you know, unit cohesiveness and those sort of things. Um, so, no, I don't, I don't have any particular strong opinion one way or the other, other than uh, we ought to really pay attention to the, the, the people who do this and the, the troops on the ground and the the military leaders because it's it's their show. I'm I'm always I'm always let's say suspicious um, when uh, there's there's what could be perceived as the attempt to to use the military as uh, sort of a you know a social justice sure. uh, instrument as opposed to uh, a way to kill foreign people. Yeah, let's put it in its bluntest terms. That's sort of you know what what we have it for, right? Sure. Well, I think um, I think as long as as long as there's no there's no clear indication, uh, there's no no real indication that this affects uh, that this affects the primary mission of the military, and there is none. Uh, and it also uh, is a move toward greater equality, which it is. And should point out that one of the one of the objections that a lot of people had to the previous policy is that. Uh, advancement in the military oftentimes is much quicker to people who are able to serve in combat positions. And so mm -hmm. that essentially was a, was a, a 
real barrier to women in the military to advancing. And so I say, again, as, as if it's a move toward greater equality and it doesn't affect uh, in any significant way the combat effectiveness, I think it's a great thing, and I'm, I applaud the decision. Okay. Well, if you as a Marine are, are okay with it, then I'm okay with it too. Well, excellent. We can, we can agree <laughs> on this though. All right. Um, speaking of agreement, amazingly enough, Congress can occasionally work, as we found out this week. They passed a five-year, $305 billion transportation bill called the, I love this, the Fixing America's Surface Transportation Act. That way they could call it the FAST Act. Um, oh. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the, those congressional bill uh, acronyms. Uh, the, I, well, I can tell you back in my, my old uh, statehouse days, yeah, thinking up acronyms for things like that. And very important. Yeah, now – it's. It it, it it always seems to me the, the height of, of silliness, but yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. But it sounds good. The fast act, anyway. Um, who does it even sound good to? I don't even I don't even get that. Yeah, it's fast. I suppose. It's, I mean, I suppose it's easier good. to say. It's it's easier for the press. I I, I want a simple yeah. sort of fast act as opposed to. There you go. Uh, the transportation budget, you know, omnibus, whatever. But exactly, it sounds much better. But anyway, um, now the amount that was approved again, three hundred five billion. It's about two thirds of the four hundred seventy eight billion that President Obama requested earlier this year. Uh, now, uh, of this three hundred five billion that was approved, around seventy eight percent of it is going to come from the federal gas tax, which is eighteen point four cents a gallon. Now. This tax, which was last raised in 1993 and isn't indexed for inflation, isn't enough to cover the full bill. So that remaining $70 billion is going to come from a variety of sources, with the main one being $40 billion from – around $40 billion from Federal Reserve surpluses. And kind of building on this, Hillary Clinton this week called for another $275 billion on top of this in, in highway funding to more fully, uh, you know, address the nation's infrastructure needs, which I think everyone agrees are pretty significant. There's a study from the American Society of Civil Engineers that's cited a lot that says that in the next five years, to bring its infrastructure up to date, the U.S. is going to need to spend $1.6 trillion, that's with a trillion with a T, dollars in the next five years. So um, uh, that's, you know, that's a lot of money. But infrastructure is one of these weird things that we can get some bipartisan agreement on. I was reading the Wall Street Journal yesterday. Yesterday, you know, know the enemy, that kind of thing. Um, no, actually, I'm you know proudly postpartisan for the most part. Right, but right. Uh, but anyway, there was a, there was an editorial in the Wall Street Journal that was actually praising, or at least qualified praising, Hillary Clinton for calling for more money for infrastructure. And I, for a second there, I had a you know, I took a had a step back and say, my God, what am I reading here? The Wall Street Journal saying something nice about Hillary Clinton, but it can happen, especially on infrastructure. So, what what did you think about this, Jay? Um, I'm okay with it. Uh, again, um, as you said, there's often bipartisan support on infrastructure, and, and I think conservatives are often okay with, look, we're paying for a road, and, and we're getting a road. And um, you can always argue, are we paying too much for it? Is there is there you know waste, rod, and abuse that goes into these things? Of course there is. I mean, you know, and the, the Democratic claim is there's always going to be not enough money, uh, and there's more money we could we could throw at it. Um, but but no, I think it's I think that's that's fine because in most cases I'd say conservatives, uh, me included, see infrastructure as as one of those core government functions that yeah that you know if we're going to have a government those are the things we we have a federal government to do. Yeah. 
Um, and I think the great thing about infrastructure spending that both sides tend to agree on is that it has uh, what are called, sometimes economists call them positive externalities in the sense that you build a road or you improve a road. Not only do you employ people for that job, but by doing that, you make it easier and more efficient for people to get to work and to transport stuff. And so that it has positive secondary effects. And so infrastructure is really kind of a, one of the best kinds of spending that government can do. But my God, Mike, what about what about the emissions? Well, you know the night the nice thing about oh, yeah, okay, yeah, there's some <laughs> light rail and all that kind of stuff, yeah, and I, I have some issues with that, but I think so. I'm, no, again, that's that's right. I'm, like I said I'm 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 joking, and I think that's again, it's sort of funny, uh, which we can pivot to this in in our next talk when we talk about the climate talks. Um, but uh, again, if if uh, Hillary was really really concerned about the uh, the environment. Uh, I don't think uh, transportation and better highways uh, would be something that uh, should be pushing. Well, Hillary is no Bernie Sanders, certainly. But, yeah, speaking of uh, emissions and the environment, uh, on Monday, President Obama and leaders and representatives from pretty much every country in the world, everyone that matters, certainly, uh, convened outside of Paris for uh, the Conference of Parties 21, or in a much less good acronym than FAST, COP21, which is the latest round of UN-sponsored climate talks. Uh, yes. And, and now, COP21 is trying a new approach. Uh, because in the past, climate talks have not gone so well, what they asked every country to do is to offer their own plan for reducing their greenhouse gas emissions. Then they're going to try to combine them into one mega plan, into a broader framework. And at this point, over 175 countries have submitted their own uh, their own targets. The U.S., for instance, has pledged to reduce its emissions by 26% against the baseline of 2005. The EU countries have said they're going to cut their emissions by 40% against the lower baseline of 1990. And China, which is, as I'm sure you know, the world's largest emitter, has promised yes. that its carbon output will peak by 2030. So, you know, another another you know big conference on climate, the last really big one was, I believe, Copenhagen in 2009. So what do you expect is going to come out of this, Jay? Well, I, I, it's appropriate that it is in France, uh, as it is more farcical than a Jerry Lewis movie. Um, it, it's look, it's it's the same. Thing. Nothing's going to come out of this, like nothing came out of any of the other ones. Um, and, and that is, you know, well, for a couple reasons. One, uh, is this even really a problem? Two, uh, is anyone going to really enforce these these um, these caps? Uh, we learned also last week that the Chinese had been misstating their carbon emissions by there's 17%. There's a shock. Yeah, there's, there's a yeah, so, shock, sure. Well, you know, geez, if the Chinese uh, are going to uh, let us know that uh, they're they're going to peak their emissions uh, by 2030, well, gosh, if the Chinese say so, who am I to question? Um, Which some reports say that would have been think, the case no matter what. I mean, that, that was the plan all along. But yeah, go ahead. Uh, so – None of these these uh, agreements have ever been actually ratified uh, by our country. Um, it's it's very much just a um, you know fun talking point and uh, uh, leads leads for some some great you know political theater, but nothing's really going to change. Um, and and to my view, maybe it probably shouldn't. But um, I, I wish we you know. I don't think it's a waste and I don't think it's a well let me step back I agree with you in part uh, but then I told before I totally disagree with you 
So okay. um, now the part where I agree with you is I think you're right that nothing substantive is going to come out of these talks. I don't see that happening uh, in, in any way, shape or form. And, and in fact, even if uh, every country lives up to its target, every country that submitted a target, uh, yes. according to a, a number of analyses, warming will still far exceed the uh, two degrees Celsius that a lot of researchers say would be essentially the no turning back point. But that that aside. Or, or I, but, not. Yeah, but that aside, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that I don't think anything's going to come out of this, but I think it's important to do. And here's where I disagree with you, because I think eventually we're going to have to come together and do something, because I disagree with you about the magnitude and the importance of this problem. And I and I, realize, I feel that getting that many countries to come together, it's a, it's a process, and it's a process that can take, in some instances, decades. And so what I see this as is not something that's going to result in a substantive agreement, but something that lays more of the groundwork for a substantive agreement that I see happening maybe five or ten years down the road. I only hope that that's not too late, but I, I certainly think that it's going to come and it's going to make it easier to come to that agreement because the UN is sponsoring these talks on a, on a regular basis up, up till that point where they can't come to an agreement. Well, I hope, I'll let, you know, reassure you i think everything will be fine um oh well that's, two to five years it's never reassuring um, jay no offense but uh, no i well let's let because here's the thing I, i've you know i've we've lived on the eve of destruction now for i don't know how many years um well, we're no uh, scientists we should point that out to all of our listeners but i'm the one who actually is interested in following what the 90 something percent of climate scientists say about this but okay let's well let's let's Take a step back, though, too. I mean, the ninety percent, ninety percent of climate scientists have have been consistently wrong, um, and dramatically wrong. But let me. I want to just hit on something else that I think is. is I'm going to agree with you just for a second before you hit on that. You know, you're yeah. right that a lot of the, especially the earlier, the initial models, absolutely have been off. And now, some of course, this has been the media looking at the worst case scenario results from these models and reporting these findings horribly. But, but yeah, I agree that the the climate, global climate, is a hugely complex thing to model, and a, and a lot of these, especially earlier estimates, have been off. I would I would say though, in a way of response to that, that if a whole bunch of people who study this stuff for a living say there's a major risk and the consequences are absolutely catastrophic, I'm really interested in coming together to do something about mitigating those risks. Great, great. No, I'm, I'm all for saving the world. Two, two quick points, though. One is in science, the language of science, the language of real science is always full of disclaimers. Absolutely. And, and that's not what you see coming out of these conferences. Uh, you know, the disclaimers being based on the evidence we have so far, based on the trends continuing, based on this, you know, being uh, a factor, uh, discounting this and, and so forth. Uh, and, and you don't you don't see that. You you see the world is going to end and it's going to end soon. I, I disagree. Um, but before you go on, I disagree. The, I mean, I think that you see that in the reports, but you don't see that in the media. And so I think the media absolutely. You're right. Does a does a crappy job of covering this, you know, our, our, our sensationalistic, dramatic, if it bleeds, it leads media. You're absolutely right. They do a horrible job on this. But I think if you actually take a look at the language in these reports, it is much more qualified, but we don't, we don't get to see that because the media, like I said, is awful for so many reasons. Anyway, go right. ahead. Uh, the folks who were at the, the conference, one of them being uh, Bill Nye, 
the science guy. The science guy. Um, he made the the um, uh, statement that that uh, climate change is what's driving terrorism. Uh, Obama really sort of backed off a little bit on that. His mm-hmm. his statement was something of the best way we can we can stick it to these terrorists is by having a climate change summit. Uh, his his better words were. Uh, um, <laughs> After after uh, paying tribute to the victims of, of the attacks a couple weeks ago, is what greater rejection of those who would tear down our world than marshalling our, our best efforts to save it? Um, I don't know. I kind of like that, but okay, well, I mean, well, it's a little bit of a stretch. Thing, even, but okay. even Mother Mother Jones uh, thought this was sort of was sort of silly uh, that uh, getting into the terrorism versus climate change stuff. But but let's let's set that aside and let's set aside the, let's the the Bill Nye. The science guy uh, has some some actual scientific research that would indicate uh, that warming of of, uh, of the Earth by about one degree, or if you look at the past fifteen years, warming by zero degrees, uh, is what's causing. Um, right, I think to it's isn't it zero point nine degrees since like in the last hundred years or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So and again, ISIS springs up and starts chopping off heads. I mean the 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 connection couldn't be clearer. Um, though, other, though, than, here's, though, other than other than here's one bad thing we don't like. Here's sure. another thing I don't like. Um, now I think there are so, more reasonable people who are making a point that saying that if if climate change continues in the way a number of a number of uh, experts predict, then we're going to see some pretty uh, drastic changes, which are going to create uh, refugee crisis crises, which are going to create uh, a lot of hardships, and these are the sort of things that they expect to radicalize more people. Now, that's a much right. more nuanced or, or argument. You might, or you might say that in order to keep uh, close to like two billion people in the world who currently live without electricity. Um, and and I think a lot of them would like electricity. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, if, if they tried it, uh, you know, um, in order to keep keep uh, a lot of those folks down, which is what's going to have to happen for these climate control uh, um, these these emissions um, targets to be I reached. You're unless saying. you want to talk about nuclear or or you know some great advance in I solar. I wish we or would. Yeah. Um, you're going to have some some really authoritarian sort of governments. Um, well, here's here's doing, where here's doing where, stuff that's going to that's going to drive people uh, to to be more radical. Uh, I, I disagree I think, with I you on this. That risk. Yeah. Well, I disagree with you. I see what you're saying. I disagree with you on that because I think industry and and has demonstrated that they can be remarkably inventive when they're given a mandate to do something. I mean, we've seen this with, for instance, fuel economy standards for the car manufacturers. When it, when there's a new higher standard that's imposed, they say, oh my God, we're never going to be able to do this. And yet somehow the magic of the market finds a way. And so I, I'm, I'm or, much or more they, pro-innovation they, than you just, are on this. Well, either either that means a lot of times you're, you're paying more for your car or in a lot of cases, uh, like Volkswagen, and, and uh, uh, they they just cheat. <laughs> I mean, well, well, sure, there's, there's some that of that, too. but I think overall, cars are cars are safer and lighter and, and better and more fuel efficient. And if you take a look at their costs and inflation, just inflation adjusted dollars, you're not seeing that big of an increase. And I think that they're able to do that because when you when you give modern industry uh, a mandate like that they find amazingly creative ways to figure it out and so i am convinced that if we impose tougher standards industry is 
going to find a way and it's going to lead to a better life for all of us. And I'm all in favor of that. All right. Here's, here's two more little bits that I just want to throw out there about the climate climate summit. Uh, the carbon footprint, Obama's carbon footprint to go and attend these, the climate summit. Uh, this was from the wall street journal estimated that, uh, his his flight to Paris, and this is just the the plane ride. This doesn't include all the other things that go with it, motorcades and and so forth, and the um, the you know carbon that it took to make whatever they had for dinner and and so forth. Sure, um, was the equivalent of driving a car, well, driving one car for seventy two years, or or the emissions of seventy two cars for one year. Um. This would indicate to me that these folks apparently either do not appreciate how dire the circumstances are, or that the circumstances really aren't that. Really? Bad. Oh God! I, yeah. you know, that yeah. that kind of ridiculousness from the right that I hear every time. I think it just makes me roll my eyes. The fact of the matter is, is that's really insignificant compared to well, compared to the main source of this pollution, which is millions of people in in cars and really millions of factories. Maybe not millions, but a whole bunch of factories belching out all kinds of stuff. So I think that's just a ridiculous argument meant to meant to distract people from the real problem. But okay, fine, I accept that point that President Obama has as a, a big carbon As a symbolic point, if you really believed it, if you really yeah. believed, as, as terrible as this is, and, and again, he's he's saying there's some really bad things that have happened and are already happening, and, and we're talking about the potential, you know, end of humanity. Um, wouldn't you at least make the symbolic statement of, you know what, we're, we're going to do this one by Skype? You know, I think that's just not how international agreements are reached and so forth. You know, anyone who I think has done a Skype conference or who's done a real one knows that there's a huge difference in terms of that. So, no, I just, I just think that's, I just think that's a, a ridiculous kind of side. Now, maybe it's a funny <clears throat> little story, but I don't think it has anything to do with the problem. Well, all right, all right, but let's let's put it next time someone asks you uh, or says to you that you need to reduce your carbon footprint, uh, that ought to be borne in mind. Hillary Clinton also, this is this is a revelation from the, the Hillary Clinton emails. Uh, she was sort of had a scorecard of trying to visit as many countries as she could. Uh, so she should she could break the record of countries visited. Um, well, that's just kind of silly, too. Right. But again, my point is, if you're really if you really think that carbon emissions are a threat to the environment, if you really think that we are we are on the eve of destruction, um. Are you playing those kind of games? Uh, I, I I don't think so. So that that indicates to me that I think I, I, our policymakers—they're not even serious about this. This is sort of with a uh, a wink and a nod. I, I disagree because I since the vast majority of carbon emissions are not from those sort of sources, that 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 is uh, that is not really a, a a reasonable argument. But again, we will we will have to agree to disagree once again. On this, certainly, I, I wanted to mention. Well, and, and the other thing is that that well, they are they are Hillary Clinton and Obama, and they are they are superior superior to us, and and therefore the rules don't apply. There's oh, also that please. sort of whatever sense. Okay. If if you if you were to say yeah, I want to yeah. take planes to every country I can just to just break the record, I mean. Uh, certainly you you would be condemned and rightfully so for your impact on the environment. <laughs> okay, well, um, uh, 
let's move on to a little more lighter side of things, I think. Uh, I, I wanted to mention, uh, we haven't really talked a lot about Donald Trump, and I feel, I don't know, somehow wrong about that. What's a, what's a podcast without a Donald Trump mention? Uh, right, right. You might have heard that Donald Trump actually mentioned that he would be releasing his medical records sometime, I think it's next week, and uh, when asked about what those medical records would show, he characterized them as perfect. Uh, of course, <laughs> they would be. Yeah, and, you know, uh, even though uh, Trump has told the media that he really doesn't pay any attention to reports on healthiness of foods, which kind of fits right in with the Trump whole Trump kind of thing of not really paying attention to evidence on anything so much and that he eats, you know, basically like bacon, steak, eggs, and maybe he just grinds them up and just has a well, main line. Protein's, protein's good for you. Most protein is good. That. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's what you need. He eats, he eats that kind it's of stuff. Carbs you gotta watch. He doesn't exercise much. He sleeps a couple hours a night. It's, the man may be... I don't know, some sort of an android sent to destroy us or something like that by some advanced civilization. That's that's the best take I can have on that. So, uh, But yeah, Donald Trump, uh, the be, be big excitement when he releases his medical records. I can't wait to see that. Well, and he, he, he has also uh, magnanimously, magnanimously um, uh, agreed to attend the CNN debate uh, uh, right. without being paid $5 million. That was, <laughs> when, when you think about how much Donald Trump is actually earning for CNN, uh, you know, it's from a from a market-based perspective, I could almost see his argument there. And he did say he wouldn't keep that $5 million. He was going to donate it, I think, to the Wounded Warriors Fund or something like that. But still, um, it would be shocking coming from anyone else but Donald. Yes. What a fun yes. guy. And you had, before we go, you had one final story, I believe. Uh, well, I have I have two things. I, okay. I do want to mention this, just the Obama bit, a climate summit, because it, it's so darn goofy. Um, according to the Wall Street Journal, he made some other statements at the climate summit when addressing world leaders. He said, you go down to Miami and when it's flooding at high tide on a sunny day, the fish are swimming through the middle of the streets. Wow. And, and it just, it just again, this strikes me as the... I want to the, see a picture. Right. The, the, the lack of seriousness. Does Obama uh, have an Instagram account? I'm thing. just wondering. So. I don't know. Well, have anyone that. else, any of these other guys ever been to Miami? And, uh, or wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't you think this would make big, uh, bigger news? Yeah, um, one would think. But yeah. it's, it's almost like someone's just goofing with him and changing stuff on the teleprompter. But that's, that's what he said. <laughs> um. So he either thinks that the rest of the world is dumb enough to believe that, or we're dumb enough to believe that, uh, that fish are swimming through the middle of the streets at Miami. Well, uh, you know uh, what, Jay? I'm going to actually research that, and if I can find a picture of that, I am going to post it. In fact, I wanted to mention before right. I forget that uh, we're we're hoping, the politics guys, we're hoping to set up a, a Facebook page sometime in the near future, and if I can find a picture of that, it's going up on the Facebook page. It's going to be one of our initial posts. All right. That, that would be great. Fish swimming in, in through Miami. I think that would be awesome. Um, yeah. And my last one, this is sort of a point of personal privilege. Uh, I am proud to announce that uh, my daughter, Emma, who's an eighth grader uh, here in Lakewood, Ohio, was the runner-up in the um, uh, Lakewood VFW Patriot Pen con- Essay uh, Contest. Oh, wow. That's great. Congratulations, Emma. Yes. Well, thanks. We're, we're very proud, and she did a great job. Um, but what I want to mention about this, it's not just – self-promotion and or, uh, promoting Emma, it's it's the lesson for, for kids when they're in these essay contests. Um, I live in, in Lakewood, Ohio, which is a really pretty progressive community, as, as you know. Um, 
and uh, she's gotten to the, the age where uh, her peers and have all sort of become socially aware of, of things going on. So the, the subject of the contest was sort of, you know, what does freedom mean to you? Uh, and she uh, went forth with a, a full-throated defense of, of uh, uh, the flag and uh, uh, God bless America and, and really sort of... Um, uh, Standard you know, kind of traditional American. Yeah, I don't want to say, okay. say jingoistic. Um, oh, say it! Again, Come on. Again, that would make would make Lee Greenwood uh, look like Joan Baez. Uh, she was kind of channeling her inner Theodore Roosevelt, basically. Yes, yes. Now the other students who were more socially aware took up topics like uh, gay marriage and the uh, Tamir Rice shootings and uh, Black Lives Matter uh, and so uh. forth. Okay. Uh, that was sort of the more common themes. And and what they learned and what Emma learned is the VFW does not really want to get lectured about game lecture tube about gay marriage by a bunch of eighth graders. Well that makes sense, yeah. So it's all about knowing your audience. Good point. Yeah, the VFW and not, we, not really the most liberal that for all group the kids in the world. out there who are listening. Uh, you know, stay out, stay in school, don't do drugs and Know your, know your audience. Know your audience. Absolutely. Just as a note, the, the, the girl who, who beat Emma out for first place actually cited uh, Lee Greenwood lyrics uh, wow. in her essay, uh, which may have been the. the that that might have been what that may have been what Emma needed to clinch it. You know, so for it might have been. Yes, yes. Oh, wow. So next time we'll we will know better. But uh, all right. Well, uh, that that's it for this mega packed, action packed episode of the Politics Guys. Thanks everyone for listening. If you have any questions for our new Ask the Politics Guys uh, segment, uh, or just any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail dot com. That's politicsguys one word at gmail dot com. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.